headlines and all. All right. Yeah, no, hey, I'm glad you recognize that stuff. They don't, they just send me up here. All right, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy. Amen. Well, we're in Advent. The candle is lit. This is the hope candle that we lit this week. And if you're wondering, why is the color of the candle purple? Maybe you're used to more sort of red and green as Christmas colors. Because on the church calendar, Advent in some traditions is considered a mini Lent because Advent is the journey of preparation towards Christmas, that we're moving together toward the arrival of Jesus. And so what Advent does is it doesn't allow us to skip to Christmas, but to live in that place where we need hope. And some would even say that the purple candle, it's, it's sort of the color of a bruise, that we recognize we live in tender places that we live sometimes in painful places. Certainly all of us live in waiting places. And the Advent journey recognizes those places as we move toward the arrival and coming of Jesus. And so for the church calendar, this is the beginning of the year. This is actually where our journey begins. Our year doesn't begin with the arrival of Jesus, but with the waiting for Jesus, with the preparation for Jesus, with the making room in the inn of our heart and our life for the coming of Jesus, making room in our world for the coming of Jesus. And so Advent is a season as a church we've entered in every year that I've been, been here. So the last seven or eight years we've entered into this. And, and so we're going to do that again. And as we do that, I, I want to, in a reductionistic way, because certainly in an introductory way, we can't share everything that Advent is about. But I want to highlight some things that Advent is about, so that we have a framework for how together as a church, perhaps we can journey through this season as we prepare for Christmas joy, the arrival of Jesus. And I want to start by saying that Advent is an invitation for us to participate in some of the larger Christian identity pieces that we hold Namely, that we're a part of a global Christian community that has a history of thousands of years. And I think sometimes we can lose sight of that, that we can, you know, being a part of a community like this, we can sort of get lost in our own bubble and begin to live as if we're sort of the only church in town or in the city or in our nation. And none of that could be further from the truth. Or perhaps we're the only people who have ever had to live in the tension of faithfulness in a time and a place where the, the faithfulness we live by is perhaps not celebrated. But no, we're a people who are part of a global church family. We're a people of a long church history. We're a part of a great tradition. 
And it's important for us to be connected to that family, to be connected to that tradition. And I understand that our tradition, the Christian tradition over the years has changed and evolved and it's full of beauty and like our families, it's full of mess and sin and things that need to change and things that need to be repented of. And yet, nevertheless, we're a part of a global church family. And not only are we a part of this family, and as we even get into the message today, we'll read a text from the lectionary. We're just going to read a text that probably tens of thousands of of churches are reading from this morning. And so we're going to join with them as we read this text and get into what God might have to say to us about the season we're in. But another piece of being a part of this is that Advent is an invitation to remind us that we're a part of a story that's larger and bigger than our own individual story. That life doesn't just revolve around me and my experience and my life and my story, but that I and my story, which matters, is a part of a much larger and grander story. And in fact, I believe that if we're going to find the healing that we so desire, the wholeness that we so desire in our personal lives and in the world, that we must be connected to the greater, grander, whole story of God. And Advent has some things to tell us about this story of God. And many theologians, there'd be some debate around this, as there always is with theologians, but many theologians would speak of the story of of God in five or six acts, like in a play. And I want to speak to them quickly and just hint to how this Advent journey relates to these acts of the story that we're a part of. And so as you know, we might start with creation, amen? And so this would be the first act of the story that with a larger, grander story we find ourselves in that God created. And if we were to read out of the Gospel of John, specifically the first chapter, what we would see is John very much alluding in his story about the arrival of Jesus, alluding to and sort of looking back to the creation account in Genesis. John is doing this in a very intentional way to remind us that in the arrival of Jesus, God is affirming the goodness of creation. God is affirming the dignity and the worth and the value of creation. This is God's yes and amen to creation. The second act, what we know is there would be a crisis that although the world is good, that something in the world is wounded and has gone wrong, a fall, a sin. There's a crisis. And we see in the arrival of Jesus that Jesus is coming to affirm the goodness of creation 
and as a healing response to the crisis that we find in creation. And this is important for us to not skip past because, again, what the Bible will not allow us to do in preparation for the arrival of Jesus as we enter into the season of Advent is to get caught up in nostalgia and sentimentality that there must be a truth-telling about the world we find ourselves in. And there must be a truth-telling about the world in which Jesus arrived. Probably much different even than how many of us have celebrated that world in our homes. Because Jesus arrived in a world in crisis. Jesus arrived among a politically oppressed people. That there's ethnic oppression. He's, he's arriving in a place where people are occupied by Rome. That there's, there's ethnic division and economic division and there's social division. And we read accounts of children being slaughtered for political gain. That it's a world full of darkness and violence, it's a confusing world. It's a world that has gone wrong. And it's not unlike the world we find ourselves living in today. That darkness, oppression, violence are doing their thing all across the globe. And it's good news to affirm that this is the world that Jesus enters into that we don't have to skip to Christmas, we don't have to be numb about the reality of our life, that we don't have to be disconnected or, or ignorant of what's going on in the world around us or left without hope because Jesus came and still comes into that kind of world. And the coming of Jesus is marked by this idea of covenant, the third act in the play, that it's Covenant, we think about this as sort of a tenacious solidarity with humanity. God entering into solidarity with humanity expressed, as we learned through the psalm series we were just in, expressed through loving kindness and mercy. And that we see this, don't we, in the incarnation, that the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, that now Jesus comes and puts on human flesh, that the presence of God no longer in tabernacle or temple, but residing in human flesh, to be in solidarity with humanity, to live our experience, to suffer and to die. So creation, crisis, covenant. And of course, Christ, Jesus Christ, would be the next act in this play. In this story, we find ourselves in, and again, the incarnation, the arrival of Jesus. And then the church, as I am, so I send you, that Jesus sends us to be witnesses of the kingdom of God here and now, to be a sign and a foretaste of God's kind of world existing and growing within this one. To be a voice and a picture of God's future here and now. This is who we are, the church. And then lastly, there's a consummation. Because what we know is that, we, that Christ has arrived, he's come. Christ has inaugurated his kingdom. 
And we see signs of that kingdom here and now. And we live in a world where that kingdom is not yet fully in bloom. And so we as the church live in this tension in the time between the times, between the now and not yet, between the church and the consummation. This is the story we find ourselves in. This is the place in the story we find ourselves in. And this is how Advent can help grow and shape us and form us in this season as a people who know how to wait for the arrival of Jesus in the tension of the not yet of God's promise. And so Advent forms us into people who know how to wait, into people who know how to watch, people who know how to pray. And this formation is crucial. It's so important to us in the world we live in. Because the powers of the world are forming us into people who don't know how to wait, but are impatient. We are an age of impatience. We want everything now, without process, without waiting. And we're willing to be dehumanized. We're willing to be disvalued. We're willing to suffer the pain and the wounding that comes before having good gifts in the wrong time, so long as we don't have to wait. We live in the age of the impatient, and Advent would teach us to wait. Advent would teach us to watch in an age of distraction. Advent would teach us to be alert and awake to what God is doing and how God is doing it. Eyes open, seeing the kingdom of God here and now, living the kingdom of God here and now. In an age of distraction, we are so distracted. And how to pray. Pray is it, prayer is about being connected to God. About knowing God's heart, communing with God, about seeing God and God's future. It's about connection. And we live in an age of disconnection. We believe we're more connected than we've ever been at any time, and yet we are less connected to ourselves and to our friends, our families, our communities. And so the work of Advent in this journey, in part, is to allow this season to form us into people who know how to wait, how to watch, how to pray. Are you with me? So I want to look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 28. This is the reading that comes out of the lectionary. It might seem a little strange of a reading to those of us not used to the church calendar, and that's okay. I'll walk us through it. But Luke chapter 21, 
verse 25 to 28, and then I'm going to read 34 and 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of, heaven, of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then 34 and 36. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I love this text for today. This text can sound a little scary, a little weird. Maybe you're feeling a little confused that we read it. Anyone with me? And here's the truth. Sometimes the world is scary and weird and confusing. And Jesus, the prophets, the Bible are not going to lie to us about that. Jesus is going to speak the truth about the world we find ourselves in. And Advent must begin precisely in that place for us to eventually receive the joy of the coming Messiah. We must have an accurate and truthful view of the world we find ourselves. And so, yes, the world at times can be scary and weird, and confusing. And yet, Jesus does not leave us helpless or without hope in that world. And that is good news. The second thing I want to say about this text is if we read it out of context, this is worth mentioning, we can pretty quickly get on the left-behind rapture train. Um, those books are fiction. And that's not what's happening here, or really um, anywhere in the Bible. But what Jesus is doing here, he's specifically speaking to, he's foretelling the destruction of the temple that did happen in around 70 AD. So, so that's, that's sort of the main meaning of this text. But if, but if we take the principle within this text, it's that when we reject Jesus in the way of Jesus, often the consequences are a dark, violent, confusing, scary life and world. However, the good news here, and this is, if we were to read this in relation to sort of a Jewish understanding and expectation, is that Jesus here is speaking to a healing and making whole of that scary, dark, confusing world. It's good news that Jesus here is speaking about justice for people who are suffering oppression. 
that Jesus here is pointing to a salvation that is coming, a peace that is coming, a righteousness that is coming, which is a way of saying right relationship with God and neighbor. That he's, he's not speaking about law-keeping. And by the way, law-keeping really is just about right relationship with God and neighbor. And so this is what Jesus is pointing to in this text. And so what we get is in the midst of a dark and confusing and scary world, Jesus is promising to heal and make whole that world in a way that's better than we could imagine. And that's good news. This does something else for us, that when we read this text here, what we see is that Advent, or even the church calendar, by the way, this is the church New Year starts with Advent. That the church starts, the calendar starts, Advent starts, this journey begins with the future in mind. That it begins with a picture of the ascended and risen Christ who is going to judge the world. And by the way, some of us, when we hear judge, we hear the word punish, and that's not what Jesus is doing here. But who will judge the world and make it new. And so this is where we're starting, and again, it is good news. Because this is what the arrival of Jesus is about, inaugurating God's future here and now and pointing forward to a time when it's fully complete or consummated. Right, like we see signs and sprouts of God's kingdom all around us, don't we? Like how many, how many of you have seen evidence of God's kingdom in your life here and now? God's rule and reign in your life here and now? God's goodness and love and mercy in your life and in the world? Right here, right now, we see that if we have eyes to see we can see it, that, that Jesus really inaugurated something, that something really changed, that something new was really born into the world. And we as followers of Jesus are really partners and participants in that newness. And how many of you know that our life and the world we live in so often falls short of the fullness we see completed in God's future? Is anyone with me in that? And that so much of the tension of our life is lived in that, that there's, there's the evidence of some of God's kingdom here and now. And so much longing for it to be complete. Theologians call this the now and not yet of God's kingdom or the time between the times. And this is so much of where we find our lives in our journey and so much of what Advent is about is learning to wait in the time in between. The time between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. The time between where there's a budding of God's kingdom and the full flourishing. The full making of all things right. Theologian Fleming Rutledge says it like this. In a, very, in a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, incognito in the stable of Bethlehem, 
and his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. In the time between, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires. Can we begin to see why it's important that we're then that we're a people who know how to wait, how to watch, how to pray? Because this is the reality of the life and the world that we live in, is in a place of waiting and longing. And I would say even the source of our deepest, of the deepest longings of our life are found in the waiting for this healing and wholeness to come to us in fullness, to come to our families, to come to the world. I mean, we misdirect that longing all the time to all kinds of things, to cope and to avoid and to deny and really as an attempt to find satisfaction. And yet we live perpetually dissatisfied and diseased lives. Or am I the only one? Are we honest about how we go to bed at night and the disease and dissatisfaction so many of us feel? Because the greatest longings of our life are met in the consummation of Jesus. And so it's in learning to wait. And so again, Advent is waiting it's often a long waiting. And it's a waiting with God's future in mind. Am I the only one who thinks God never seems to be in a hurry? It's like, why is it always so long and slow? It's real. We call it the, I call it the slow work of God. God's the slowest worker. Slower than, you know, the worker's not working at your job. You're like... What's God up to? But we wait. We do. We wait. We wait on the slow work of God as we live in a dark, wounded, and violent world. And will we allow Advent to invite us to sit in this, to observe it, to see it, to feel it? I want to ask you, in what areas of your life are you waiting for God's healing and wholeness to be born? Or am I the only one that feels incomplete? And, I, and by the way, I know I'm not because if I scroll through your Instagram, I'm gonna find your self-improvement plan in five posts. Which, by the way, is just a kind way of saying your personal salvation plan. But I'm not talking about self-improvement or even a self, um, your salvation plan. I'm talking about allowing God to heal and make whole the most wounded parts of our inner life. I'm talking about finding our primary satisfaction in God's embrace and love. 
I'm talking about finding joy and delight in God's way of life, even if it's different than the world's way of life, and even if it appears to be painful. This is the invitation of Edmund to make room for that arrival. And not just in our personal lives, because Advent and the arrival of Jesus isn't just about our personal lives. By the way, have you all ever read Mary's song that she sings? I hope someone preaches out of this thing over the next few weeks. There's like very, I I mean, it's about what's going on in the world. And so the question here is like, in what areas of the world are you waiting for God's healing and wholeness to be born? In what areas of the world are we still dissatisfied? What areas of the world do we still see injustice and oppression? What areas of the world do we still see death and sin having their way? What, way, what, what areas of the world are people kept from flourishing and experiencing the fullness of God in the here and now? Advent would have us ask that question. And as we wait, there's encouragement. I, I want to look at Luke 21, 29 to 33, because Jesus tells a, uh, shares a really interesting parable here that I, that I hope will encourage us and give us a little bit of a roadmap for waiting. But Luke 21, 29 says this. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a beautiful little parable. So how does this connect to what we're talking about? I want to highlight three phrases that Jesus uses in this parable. And the first is this, look at, look at the fig tree. Imagine the fig tree as your life. Look at your life. Can you name it for what it is? Can you be honest about your life as it is? Can you name it without spinning? Can you name it without spiritualizing? Can you name it without denying? Can you name it without numbing? Can you name it without fantasizing? Can you name a tree as a tree? Can you see it for what it is? Can you tell the truth about your life and the world? Because if we're going to be people who watch, who wait, who pray, we must be people who can tell the truth about our life. If Jesus is going to arrive in our life, it will be in our real life, our true life. It will not be in the life you are in denial about. It will not be in your fantasy life. It will not be in the life you are numbing. It will not be in the life you're spinning or spiritualizing. It will be in your real life. That's the end Jesus is coming to. The messy part of the end. The dirty part, the noisy part, the scandalous part of your life. You know, Jesus will make his reputation scandalous to come to you in your real life. 
Jesus will, will do things that would embarrass any one of us to be with you in your real life. And love it all the way, not regret it. By the way, someone needs to hear this. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not embarrassed of you. Jesus is not too cool or too proud to show up in the lowest part of your life. This is where Jesus is coming. This is where Jesus is arriving. The next phrase, summer is near. I love this because we just read a text where Jesus is talking about darkness and confusion and scary things. And all of a sudden, he's like, summer is near. Because when we learn to watch, we will see in the midst of darkness, the light of God is breaking through. That summer is sprouting and blooming in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the darkness. Because love is stronger than death. Life is stronger than death. I love this song. John Mark McMillan has this song where he says, life is the juggernaut. Death isn't the juggernaut. Life is the juggernaut. Life can't be stopped. Life will not be silenced by death. Life will not be overcome by chaos. Life will not be overcome by this darkness. Life is breaking through. Can you see that summer is near? And then lastly, he says, when you see. Because we can miss it. Are our eyes open? Are we living alert? Are we living awake? Are we watching for the break-in of God, the, the, the light of God to come into our life? Or are we just living impatient? And because we're impatient, we're not waiting for the things of God. We're out doing all the other things that we think bring satisfaction because we're not watching. We're, 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 um, we're just numbed out distracted because we're not prayerful, we're disconnected, and so in the darkness of our life, we miss the light of God coming in. And listen, God will chase us down in the worst places, in the most distant places. God will leave the 99 for you, the whole thing. And are we watching? Are we waiting? Prayerfully preparing room for that arrival. In the last part of this, we already read Luke 20, 21 to 34 to 36. Jesus says two words, watch and pray. The band can come. And so I want to end with this, that how do we wait? We're people who watch. We've been talking about this and we're people who pray. We watch for the signs and the sprouts of God's future here. And now we've talked about this, that as followers of Jesus, we are people of the future, living that future now. We pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember this? When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, how do you pray? 
We pray on earth as it is in heaven that we're praying the future of God into the present of God. By the way, prayer isn't something that we twist God's arm into doing stuff for us. Prayer is the formative process in which we become like God in the here and now. It's actually the low doorway into God's future so that we can access it and bring it into the present. Because when we're connected to God, we can live in two places at once. You can live where God is and where we are, right here. And so it's not only that we wait for God's future, that we watch for God's future, that we're prayerful around God's future, but we are agents and participants of that future here and now. Here's the good news. We don't have to wait then and there for the future of God. We can bring it here and now. And when we do that, when we watch, when we wait, when we pray, when we become agents of that future here and now, we become a people of hope. And a people of hope are a people who can see rightly the world that we live in without losing perspective that God's promises are yes and amen, which is different than optimism. It's different than pessimism. Optimism often is an ignoring of the circumstances of our life and the world. And pessimism is often, we can see the world but have ceased to believe that God's promise will have any bearing on it or change on it. And we need to repent of both and become a people of hope that can see the life we have, that can see the world we live in, can tell the truth about it, and not lose hope that God can do something different. Because in Jesus, another world has arrived, another world is possible. This is what it means to be a people of hope. That the light has come and is coming into the world and darkness cannot overcome it. That Jesus will have the final word on our life and on the world because Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen.